0: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking at you. I love that uh, guilty look that Julie can get. That uh, it wasn't me, and that's like the first line out of your mouth. All right, welcome. I'm kind of the guy spinning the plates these next couple of weeks. Uh, see if you can track this with me. Jim is in Europe. Rob Schmidt, who plays the uh, leads the other team, is in Europe. Where's Mark Hill? He's here. Actually, that's okay. And you know what i 'll take it. This is not so bad is it, it is not punishment for being alive that 's for sure, but uh, continue to pray for jim he 's on his sabbatical. Um, I go with the I'm a strong proponent of the no news is good news theory and I've heard very little I know he's been posting some random things so I'm sure he's having a great time but he's uh studying on a sabbatical and it'll be awesome he'll come back all all ready to go for the summer which will be great and Rob's visiting some friends in the beautiful place of Ireland The, the the uh Emerald Isle, as it were. Um, I hope you got one of these on the way in. I love this cover, Jude. Holy women of God, your beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that is of great worth in God's sight. That's awesome. It's beautiful. Men need the same thing, by the way. It's just that we're a little different. We really are. Uh, And we have a Father's Day, which is good. It's never at the exclusion of anyone else. just want you to know that. A couple things in the prayer and praises section to to pray for. I mentioned Glenn Nelson's funeral that was here yesterday. Pray for Christy, for the family. But uh, she's doing well. She is. She's uh, feeling the loss. Um, at the same time, uh, she's strong and she loves God and, and Glenn was a faithful, faithful man. It was a blast to have a funeral to celebrate the faithfulness of one of his children. It was awesome yesterday. Uh, we, by the way, we went outside, you know how this weather does here, springtime in the Rockies. We went out for the burial at uh, Valleybrook Cemetery in Breckenridge And in the morning, it had started where there was snow on the 10-mile. And I was like, oh, brother, here we go. How many of you have been to a funeral in Summit County where the snow was blowing sideways into your ear? Yeah, absolutely, me too. And so, but as we went over, it was like... this this blue skies opened up and it was uh, great we had a wonderful time and about 30 minutes after we left as i was going back over swan mountain road i looked over there and it was just socked with snow so it was a typical summit county scenario it was a blast uh pray for them though pray for uh, bill and alicia spear and their family bill lost a cousin who is very dear to him and went and did that funeral yesterday. But they're here. Bill's teaching uh, John through this next couple of weeks, months probably. And he's across the hall right now. Um, my Jenny's doing well. Lost her mom. But uh, again, a faithful person to celebrate. So thanks for your uh, care for us. Barry niece, continue to pray for him. He's got another surgery scheduled. Uh, there's infection that is trying to kill that guy. Um, he's at St. Anthony's down in Denver, and just continue to pray for him, for Gail, for the family. And also pray for Vacation Bible School that's coming up. I hope you're getting signed up, kiddos signed up, uh, leaders to help with that. And this fun thing. Um, There's a couple of pictures there, Maggie. Would you put the first picture up, please? Oh, there we go. I wonder what's going on there. Are we getting it? Oh, yeah, there it is. So there's Jim. That's an unusual collection of people. Uh, Where would you see that? It's not unusual to see Jim showing pictures on his phone, but uh, those people are together. That happened at the churchwide retreat uh, two and a half years ago in the fall. We're really hoping you will put on your calendar the date for that event because it's a big deal. Uh, It's the very first full weekend in September, and we go up to Snow Mountain Ranch. We have a great time together, but you get some interesting connections. Let me show you this next picture. Put that one up there, Maggie. So this is Nick and Jesse, and then this is Ryan and Lauren, and when they had this picture taken, neither of them were married. Now they're married. So I, there's also, there are some other couples that have been married since then. So I guess if you need a husband or a wife, you go to the churchwide retreat. I'm only messing with you. I'm not expecting that much connection to happen very often, but it is profound how that actually happened. And uh, it's actually a, a blast and a way to really connect with some people with whom you may not be familiar. That's good. And then here's the last picture. Not a surprise to anyone. Pete Colticelli, if you know him. He, it, I guess the, the retreat just drove him crazy. I don't know. Or, quite possibly, he was crazy long before we went on the retreat. That's the likelihood. But put that date on your calendar. We really want you to be able to come to that and enjoy and uh, continue to lift each other up in prayer. And that's an important part of what we do. Uh, let's pray before we walk into the Word. Lord, we come to you. This is an act of worship. A decision to suspend our current reality and address a God who's invisible. That's a behavior of worship. So, thank you for prayer that functions in that. We come and we just adore you. We know how we feel about you. And we're so thankful and grateful for what you have done and who you are for us. And sometimes we have requests because we don't know how to come to terms with things often. So, we ask you to. Uh, Work in the lives of those who have been mentioned and uh, continue to work in our lives through your word today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start a series on worship. I unabashedly stole that title from that song that we just sang, without any question, because I think it kind of captures that idea that this is our purpose. We call this a worship service, right? Right. Uh, that's typically what a lot of people use as a phrase and when we gather like this. And it's also interesting to me that about half of this, we often break just like we did. We just I took it right to 10.30 from 10 o'clock. We cut it almost right in half at Dillon Community Church, where the first half is more saying, we say creeds, we, we recite verses, we do things, we sing songs. We're in that culture, and then we... We say hello to each other. How many of you actually found anybody who is relatively attractive to hug? I'm only messing with you. We greet each other. We say hello. We have fun. And then we come together and we want some instruction. We want some direction. We get some teaching. And we have done that for years. And a lot of churches use that model. But what fascinates me is we very seldom talk specifically about what worship is and what is that even... How does it affect us? What is it about? Um, How many of you... This church matches exactly the culture of the church that you grew up in. The worship here is exactly like the worship in... Well, yeah, Ben and Emily, you grew up in this church. So, okay, you, yeah. You guys definitely... Yeah, Piper, same way. Some of you... How many of you, though, this is different from the culture in which you grew up with? So why are you here? Was that because you didn't like the culture you grew up in? Maybe there's some aspects of that. Was that because you really were looking for something different and this fit it? Was that because you you tolerate this because it's the only church that is of this kind in Summit County? There's a number of people that come to this church because there's not a Presbyterian church in Summit County, right? That happens. So here's the simple question. So which one of those franchises is right? <laughs> <laughs> you know that we all kind of have that thing going on. In the 80s and the 90s, they actually called it, in seminaries, studies of worship wars. Now, does anybody have a problem with that phrase? I do. Why we would actually war, we, we would get in these modes of, wait, those guys are doing it wrong. Wait a minute, we don't do that enough. Wait a, And I, by the way, get feedback from most of you on a regular basis at some levels. Uh, Sometimes it's information that I didn't know, but not very often, to be really honest with you. Mostly, right, it's about preferences that you have. You miss something. Sometimes I can actually fulfill that wish as the director of the worship program. Sometimes I can't. I personally, Mark Hill, came from a very strict, very sing-a-lot-of-hymns, very... Uh, fundamentalist type background growing up as a kid. This is a diversion from that. And I leave here every week longing for more of some things that I didn't get here. And I'm a pastor. So I just want you to know you're in good company. (laughs) Because we have this various, like, what are we looking for? What are we hoping for? What do we think we should do? Some of you come driven by guilt and shame because if I don't go to church, like, somehow the other shoe is going to drop. Some of you can't wait because you get recharged. Some of you do uh, a process of being involved in worship because someone else in your family makes you do that. Right? We have a lot of different things going on in the background. So here's a good question. I think it is. What are we talking about when we're talking about worship? What did God have in mind when he put together the idea of worship? What was God's plan for worship? Now, there's some places we could go. Um, How many of you realize that the garden is a model? It's basically a temple. Did you know this? The Garden of Eden was a worship temple. And how do I know that? Well, when you track into the descriptions of the craftsmanship that went into making the tabernacle and the temple that God gave, there's all kinds of images that get brought in that are from the garden, all the way down to pomegranates all over everything. Did you know that? all kinds of details that made both the tabernacle and the temple feel, in a lot of ways, like a garden. And then the garden shows back up again in the end in Revelation, and we find out, oh my goodness, this is the whole thing. In fact, when we read Hebrews, we find out that those different tools and things that were used, the tables and the laver full of purifying water, and those are all the, the actual blueprints are in heaven for those things. Like there's that, that's actually really there somehow. Fascinating. So where else do you think? If, if we, we could get some information about worship, what God had in mind from the garden, where else do you think we could get information? In the Bible that he gave to us, where else would we find information about worship? I'm actually asking that <laughs> physical question. Hoping someone... Say Where? Oh, man, you went right to the Sunday school answer of Jesus. That's actually the right answer. But you're exactly right. We're going to go there. Are there other places before Jesus? Since you kind of stole my thunder, that was awesome. I love that. I love it. Psalms. Okay, we think of the Psalms, right? We go, well, David, David had good, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who wrote actually David, but if you thought about how bizarre this combination was, He was a warrior and a poet. David took metal and cut men's heads off and wrote Psalm 23. Have you thought about the tension of that? That's a bipolar man, is what that is. I mean, it's an unbelievable combination of what was going on inside that man. And there still are scholars who say Psalm 23 is the most beautiful thing ever written in the history of humanity. So should we go to David and get our answers about what God's plan for worship is? Maybe. Who else? What about Moses? Moses takes Israel. They're a nation, but their identity for three and a half centuries is to be Egyptian. They're part of the Egyptian worship culture. All they see around them is Egyptian worship. All they're probably allowed to do or partake in is Egyptian worship. So Moses brings them out. On the way out, God says, you remember that whole Egyptian pantheon of gods? I mean, God disassembles it, right, in, the, in the, uh, all the process of the plagues. And then they come across, and Moses starts writing down, so here's what our worship is going to look like, and it will not be Egyptian. You remember the golden calf. That is not an okay thing. We're not doing a syncretism, bringing our Egyptian worship and putting it together with some other form of worship. So should we go to Moses? We could, We can, and actually we'll get some information from Moses, but because we were already given the right answer, the right answer, we're going to go to Jesus today. Because Jesus gave us very clear, definite understandings. And the book of John really gives us a whole bunch of information about that. Um, I just want to set up this passage because we're going to learn about what Jesus said, specifically related to worship, to the Samaritan woman. Now, every time I say that phrase, the song goes, Samaritan woman, get away from it, every time. So I just give you that song, Virus, no extra charge. Uh, That's what happens every time I read the phrase, Samaritan Woman. But we're going to look into the book of John, and I'm going to set it up with this. Chapter 1, what happens? John actually goes back and grabs creation. John goes back to the beginning, and he says, here was God. And now we have God here with us. John chapter 2, what happened? Jesus' first miracle. Talk to me. The water to wine, right? We remember that wine part. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Now, Jesus comes in. He gets his followers, his Teladine. He walks them days. He picks up his mom and his family. He goes to this wedding of somebody who apparently was very important to them. And he goes in, and there's water. What was significant about the water that Jesus turned to wine? You get extra credit if you know this one. It what? Ontologically, some things changed in there. The baseline was still water, right? But the key that was interesting about the water was that it was purification water that was used in the rituals and the washing process. Jesus took that water, these big jars, and he turned that water into wine. Upgraded, if you will. What was going on? Well, it starts a theme that happens that rolls all the way through John about water. How many of you wonder why Jesus would have had a lesson about water? Have any of you been to Israel? What kind of a country is that geographically? It, it is a desert. There's no water. It is a desert, and a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament and things are about. Bringing water to the dry land. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus never really changed the circumstances when he had all of the things that happened with water? Jesus never turned Israel into Kentucky. I was just in Kentucky last weekend, and the hillside in the spring in Kentucky is full of 500 different shades of green. It's an amazing thing to see. Water in the air, you can cut it with a knife. There's water everywhere. God, Jesus, never in the the exchange of how this relationship is going to work, never says, what I'm going to do is turn this desert into Kentucky. Kentucky never happens. Instead, what happens is using water as an illustration of the need, the hunger, the thirst, the lack of something. Water keeps coming up all the way through as a reminder of the fact that we need God and need that provision without God always changing the circumstances for us. That's really important in worship. Worship is not to get something from God that we think God should do. It's really important. Third chapter of John, what happens? Who's in the third chapter of John? Nicodemus is exactly right. Who was he? What was his description? He's a Pharisee, so he's a very learned Jewish teacher. At the same time, he was very interested in what Jesus was saying. Remember, he set up the meeting. Uh, he initiated it and said, I got to kind of cover my back here because, you know, I can't be seen necessarily, but I want to know what you're talking about. So Jesus goes into a discussion and talks about water and spirit, water and spirit, water and spirit all over the place. And Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about. Do you know the Old Testament reference that Jesus was referring to? You get all kinds of extra credit for your team if you know this one. Ezekiel 36 and 37, there's two great illustrations that Ezekiel says. And he says, look, you right now as a people, you have hearts of stone. And I'm going to give you living hearts that work, that pump the blood, that bring you life. And then my favorite one, which is in the second, the second illustration, which is a valley full of dry bones, an army of dry bones. And God sends the, the spirit, the wind, and it fills the, and they start fleshing out and they get life. That's what Jesus is referring to in John 3, and it went right over Nicodemus' head. So he didn't know how to respond to it. But Jesus is pulling this along. John the Baptist is in the story. At the, beginning, at the very end of chapter 3 and the beginning of 4, there's discussions about baptism and Jesus not baptizing himself, but his disciples baptizing and so forth. And then we get to the discussion of, with the Samaritan woman. Why don't you put that up there, Maggie, that first verse? When a Samaritan woman, there's the song, you know it, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For, John explains it, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The Samaritans were from the same backstory, probably, we're not 100% sure historically, but probably from the northern tribes that were taken into Assyria in captivity before the southern tribe of Judah was taken to Babylon. And they came back. When they came back from their captivity, with them, the the worship culture that they had taken with from Israel, they came back. They worshipped the one true living God, Yahweh. They did not worship a different God. They worshiped the same God, but they set up a different place and a location that was in the north. They had had that before they were kicked out and they did it again. Now, the interesting thing is the location of where this Jacob's well is, where these two people are having a conversation, that temple is right over there. They're looking at it. It's right up on the hillside on the tell. And so this reference, you'll see what she does here to talk about this a little bit more. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What in the world is living water? Nicodemus didn't know what living water is. Jesus uses the same illustration here. He says, so this is, again, life that goes beyond just the, like, putting crops in the field, and affects you at your actual being, your essence. Go to the next one there, if you will, Maggie. Oh, is that the second one? Oh, thank you. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's thinking literally. He's thinking spiritually. Spiritually. Get that contrast right there? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Interesting that she grabs Jacob as a progenitor when Jacob, of course, is... They're called the God... Israel's God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they both think Jacob is a progenitor. He's one of the their great... Examples of faith and of worship. They both think that. The Samaritans and the Jews have that in common. Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Now, he's obviously not talking about physical water. It's as obvious, I think, at this point. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life, which everyone wants. This is the ultimate life-giving scenario. So remember, we're still writing on the back of all these water references. Go to the next one. You already did. See, you did that to me again. You're way ahead of me, girl. I like it. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming down here to draw water. She didn't quite get it yet. She's still thinking literally, you may have the same issue. You may think that worship, that actually living water, that spirit, is about some kind of very practical solution that's going to just make your life fall better or something. In fact, there's been a whole teaching culture in the United States in the last century that has been tragic because it's given the mistaken idea, idea, the the mistaken belief, that God just wants to fix all of your circumstances and give you water so you won't be thirsty anymore. You might have the same mistaken belief. Woman, Jesus replied, wait, did we... Talk about the, I didn't think so. Ah, you almost shot me down. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Why did she say that? Because that's the whole section in there about the husbands, and I just didn't want to have to go into all that. But Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He's like, I know, you've got a bunch of husbands. So she realizes he knows information somehow that I, I didn't tell him. How does he know this? So, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. She goes from the fact to say, you're not only a Jew, which should be a difference in the distinction between us, but to now say you're a prophet, I'm I'm very interested in what you have to say. Our ancestors worshiped then on this mountain right here, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now this happens in our culture all the time. It happens between the churches, like I opened that can a little bit ago. How many of you grew up in a culture where the Catholics were considered evil. This is Mark Hill wave, waving his hand because I was taught, yes, the Catholics, and I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. Notre Dame is there. There's Catholics everywhere. But the very Baptist church that I grew up in taught this clear distinction. Those people are going to hell, and there's a really good chance that the Pope is the Antichrist. I heard that taught from the pulpit. So we do this crazy thing where we do this immediately. Well, I don't know. We lost that. Where there's the distinction between we worship like this, you worship like that. There's something right about your worship. Maybe it's your place. Maybe it's the way you stand. Maybe it's whatever. But there's got to be a distinctive. And we always start doing this thing. We do it within the church. And then we also do the thing outside of the church where we say, well, those people, you hear that, those people. The distinction. We immediately do that. Now, you would think, if there's anybody in the history of the world who walked on this rock, who could solve the dilemma of who's right between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, Jesus easily could have done that. But look what he does. Woman, believe me, there's a time coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Wait, what? Neither is right? Is that what he's saying? Okay, something just happened. Remember what he had done with water. He took water from a literal, will you get me some water, to a spiritual discussion. And he does it right here with what she did a minute ago when she said there's two places. Only one can be right. It's either Gerizim or it's Jalem. It's not both, right? And he takes it from the physical discussion and says, let's talk about this in a different way. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. In other words, there's some deficiencies there, but you worship. Does he take their worship and throw it out the window? No. If you read that, he does not. He says, though, that you worship, but you worship some things. There's some holes in your information. And we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But what he never does is say, so honestly, the best thing that would happen would be if all the worshipers in Samaria would just quit it or all go to Israel. He doesn't say that. He says a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now, let's look at this. No, stay, back, stay there, man. I knew you were going to do that to me. <laughs> when the true worshipers will worship. What does that imply? If there's true worshipers, then there are false worshipers. So what he is not doing is this, and our culture is famous for this. We want to take everything that is anything at all to do with kind of religion, and we want to say, oh, it's all the same. It's, you know, the illustration, the elephant, there's a blind man and a bunch of blind men are trying to grab the elephant and this guy grabs the trunk and he thinks this is what an elephant is, is like a trunk. And another one grabs the tail. This is what an elephant is. Another one grabs a leg. Oh, this is what an elephant is. And they, they use that as an analogy to say, so all worship from anybody about anything is all going after the same God. The elephant is God and we're all worshiping the same God. That's not what Jesus says even though they were worshiping the same God. He says, look, there are true worshipers. There's a distinctive. There are things that qualify as true worship. And there's something that does not qualify as that. It qualifies as false worship. Let's go on. And then he explains it. They will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. Look how Trinitarian this is, by the way, just pointed out. This is Jesus talking about the Father and the Spirit. And when he teaches later in chapter 14, 15, and 16, he actually says the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And you're going to hear about truth in just a minute. He combines those ideas. Oh, go back, go back. What, they worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Who's the seeker? It's funny because churches have actually pretty recently tried to say, well, what we need to do is the people are the seekers, and we need to build worship cultures where the people will come and seek and find God. What's the, What does that say? It's the other way around. That's intriguing, isn't it? Because true worshipers are the ones that the Father seeks. Also go back to John chapter 3 and remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus about God loving the world, not the world loving God. Who's the seeker? The seeker is the Father. And worship is way more about the Father pursuing us than it is about us pursuing the Father or the Son and the Spirit. Really important to unpack this. Now you can go to the next slide. (laughs) And God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This is a little bit of misleading stuff right there. First of all, the spirit part is great because it helps us know that the essence, the nature of God is spirit. Then the essence and nature, as Jesus has already talked about, the Holy Spirit is it's the wind, it's the breath. It's spiritual. It's not tangible like this. The tangible form of the Trinity is Jesus. The other two are spiritual. There's significance in that. And so it's a spiritual engagement, but it should be worship in spirit and in truth. Now, it's unfortunate because it breaks this up and it puts an extra in, an extra preposition in there. In the Greek, it's not there. The way it's built is, is worship in spirit and truth as a package of idea. Spirit and truth are not separated from each other at all. Some people have taken this passage and said, well, we need to worship God in spirit. And we do that by coming over here and do this. And we need to worship God in truth. And we need to come in. They're connected. They are hand in glove They're not separated from each other at all. And you get the sense then, this is what you can hear Jesus is saying. It's a spiritual relationship, but it's got all kinds of foundational truth in it. It's got significance. It's got teaching. It's got ideas. It's got rights and wrongs. It's got preferences. And it's got a number of different things that are actually behaviors that go with the beliefs of the spiritual connection. Both. Both at the same time. And bottom line, Jesus is saying, where you worship God, that's never going to be the real big deal. We're not going to talk about sorting it out between that mountain, that city, and that city. What we are going to do is say real worshipers are those who worship both in essence... And in truth, you've got foundational facts. This is exactly what happened in the law of Moses. This is what we do in the way that we do it. But we're not just going through the motions of these ways and and do's. We're doing it because it's a spiritual relationship, and this is the groundwork for that. It fosters that. And the woman now goes from, you're a Jew, so... (laughs) to, I see you're a prophet, I'm curious, to, I've heard about a Messiah coming, and he's going to explain everything to us, and it sounds like you're kind of heading down that trail, and Jesus says you're talking to him. So the worship goes from a discussion about something that is maybe abstract enough that it's hard to grab, to worship that's an essence-type thing, You can understand that essence type thing because you know there's an identity that is you that's not your physical parts. How many times do we change our cells over in the course of our life? Last time I heard it was seven. You basically rebuild your body seven times in a typical lifetime. So it can't be that that our essence is trapped in our cellular makeup, right? It's not, I mean, through history people thought maybe it's in your liver, We say it's your heart, maybe it's your brain. They're trying transhumanism, you know about this. They're trying to actually figure out how to capture the essence of being Bruce Butler. And they're trying to say, well, we'll capture this, we'll put it in computers, we'll make a robot, and Bruce Butler will be captured. Does anybody want to buy the Bruce Butler action figure, Uh, Bruce Butler action robot? I, by the way, would love one of those if they ever figure that out. So, say what? They'll, hand, they'll be handing them out at the back of the of the church afterwards. The idea is because we keep trying to say there's something about us that is not just the sum of our parts. There's an identity. And there, worship gets very individual. But also there's truth versus falsehood. And there, it becomes a cosmic issue that is way beyond us. And one of the things you'll find out as we keep looking at this is that worship is a very personal issue, and it's also a very communal, very community-oriented issue. I hope this was helpful as you think through. I suggest you continue to look. Go back, read chapter 4. Read at least 2 and 3 before it. Read where Jesus talks about spirit and truth later. Learn a little bit more. And uh, we're going to continue, because this kicks the door open to say... So why do we want to worship? What is the What are the benefits of that? Is it just, who then do we worship? Is it anybody anywhere? How do we worship? What should we be doing then? Aren't there some truths that we should be following? All those kind of questions. And that's where we're going to head over the next several weeks. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your love to us. Thanks for your story. Uh, Stories, And I say that with a sense of confidence and uh, of truth to it, that the stories are narratives. And this was a very powerful set of narratives that we have, that we know that uh, you gave to a specific woman in a specific place from which we can learn. And we can combine it with the other uh, stories, the other narratives in Scripture. And so we offer ourselves to you as a result of that conversation. We want to know more. Give us more insight because uh, our worship posture is such a critical part of our identity as Christians. Give us insight into that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to receive an offering. Uh, We do that as a regular part of our worship process. I encourage you to think worshipfully with your offering, not out of uh, necessity and not necessarily out of uh, guilt, for sure, but as a sense of uh, a connection with God to say, here's my recognition of who you are, and, uh, and I want to worship by giving back part of what you have given to me. And the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's away that will bless your heart. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry for the thing I've made. When it's all about you. When it's all about you, Jesus. I think this song also captures the sense of recalibrating. Um, Let me give you just a moment right now before we receive communion, if you would like to consider, maybe ask God for some insight, some uh, more looks into your own understanding of worship. Hear our prayers, Lord. We want to be your children who represent you well, live into being uh, your image bearers. And we want to honestly enjoy our relationship with you as much as is possible. We also want to reflect back to the world. That becomes our gospel. Thank you pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we need some people to serve communion. I did not pre-plan anyone. Oh, good. People are jumping right up. Thank you. Um, some people will come up. If you've never done, come on up and, and hold the tray. If you hold the juice, you offer the blood of Christ. And if you hold the bread, you offer the body of Christ. You know, he had this fascinating and just spectacular way of connecting literal, physical things that were tangible with spiritual meanings, just like he did with water, he did with the uh, wine and the bread. And this is a good way for us to remember, to specifically recall his ministry to us, and also a good way for us to worship him for that. So we'll continue singing. Let's stand together. And uh, if you'd like to come and receive his communion today, come. King of endless world No one could express how much you deserve we can